Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, saving our closer for the bottom of the ninth on the road. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman and Buck Showalter, my man. It might be time to go. Hey, you can never be too safe, except when that's exactly what you are and you end up losing the game. (laughs) Jake, it's good to see you on this fine Monday morning. We are, of course, going to talk about the latest Mets mess. Uh, maybe we should read some of the replies to your tweet. Describe the 2023 Mets in one reward. Uh, we'll certainly get to that. Review all the other series from the weekend. Talk about the weirdness with the Yankees, which is currently being distracted by the weirdness with the Mets. We'll talk about the Angels series loss in Coors Field. They sure lost that series. Mariners, Orioles, BBQ Bowl recap, of course. Some thoughts from the yard. Talk about Yuri Perez. And then in the second half, because people care way too much about this and because we were sent uh, multiple versions of City Connect uniforms, we are going to rank the 20 City Connect uniforms as they stand right now. We do not care about fashion as evidenced if you've ever seen us in person. And so we are not particularly qualified for this, but we're going to do it anyway. But let's begin with reviewing the action, something we are much more qualified to do. As is always the case on Monday mornings, we will run through the games from the weekend. Three, two, one. Marlins over the Pirates. Three games to one, but not a mop. Orioles winning the barbecue bowl over the Mariners two to one. Rockies taking a series from the Angels, which is certainly a way to describe what happened at Coors Field. The Braves over the Reds in a thrilling three-game set in Cincinnati. The Blue Jays over the A's. Matt Chapman checking in on his ex and seeing that they are not doing particularly well. Vlad finally getting his first home run at home, his first two home runs at home. It took him long enough as, yes, Blue Jays do win that series at home against Oakland. The New York Yankees, you were there for some number of these games, right? They won a series against Texas. It didn't look good doing it. It was the least inspiring series win I've seen the Yankees have in a long while. I was there for two of those games and I will get to it later. Brewers over the Guardians in the only series I watched zero of this weekend. Go listen to a Brewers or Guardians podcast if you want takes on that. We're sorry. Dodgers over the Astros, though losing the Sunday night baseball game. Big one from that series was the Ryan Stanek volcanic explosion on Saturday night. We have no thoughts on the call, the bot call itself, but congrats on the reaction. Ryan Stanek, a friend of the show. Anytime anybody goes full Vesuvius, we tip our cap. Giants over the D-backs. Phillies over the Mets, or I guess Mets under the Phillies. If uh, That's probably a better way to, to describe what happened. The Twins over the Tigers in a AAA showdown. White Sox over the Red Sox. And the Nationals 
over the San Diego Padres, who cannot wait for the 60-game COVID season to start. We're almost there. Uh, summer camp is getting started right about now, and uh, opening day is a little under a month away for the Padres to get ready for the best versions of themselves, the 2020 dads. Uh, where would you like to begin um, on this episode, Jake? There's a lot of a lot of good stuff. I mean, listen, Orioles over Mariners. That was that was fun. It was good. You know, Mariners putting up a, a rare whooping on them on Friday. It gave us a little bit of drama with Mike Ford on Saturday, and then Sunday another close loss. Felix Bautista, I would qualify that as an angry save um, from Felix Bautista on Sunday. So Kevin Brown, Orioles broadcaster, friend of the show closed out the call on Sunday with a there's a new King Felix in town. As a Mariners fan, how do you feel about this? So here's the thing. I trust and love Kevin enough to know like this is I can't blame him, you know, for this specific context. Uh at the same time, uh it's disrespectful. Not just to a Mariners legend, but to a former Oriole. Uh, it's unbelievable that you would be willing to. I'm sure the Orioles at some point decide. I know he never pitched for the Orioles in the big leagues, if that's what you're looking at. <laughs> but he had did wear a jersey, an Orioles jersey at one point. Uh, no, I mean, whatever. If it wasn't Kevin, I'm sure I would be more mad. But um, Felix Bautista has a long, a long way to go. Think about <laughs> what Felix had accomplished by the time Felix Bautista, who I love, let me be very clear, made it to the big leagues. Okay, so long, long, long way to go. And, and so, like again, he's only doing this because they beat. It's, it's fine. Whatever, Kevin. I, I'll give you a pass. Felix Bautista made his big league debut at age 27, at which point Felix Hernandez had already thrown 269 baseball games. Started. Okay. Yeah. Started. Yeah. He was 110 and 86 with a 320 ERA. He had won a Cy Young. He had finished second another time. This is all before Felix Bautista made the big leagues, but Kevin Brown is correct. I would like to move on to the Angels Rockies situation, George. Sure. Yeah, that was certainly a baseball game that happened. The Angels beat the Rockies 25 to 1 on Saturday night. The Rockies won the series. What a lovely example of our stupid sport. I love it too because series wins, I think, as, a, as like a concept, to me, mean more in college than they do in, in the big leagues. But it's still significant because you are feeling like you won something on, over the course of a weekend, over the course of a couple of days. But it's always funny to me when you celebrate winning the series on Saturday, for example, and then Sunday, it's like you punt, like who cares? Sunday, Sunday might as well not exist. Like, no, the game counts just as much as it did on Saturday. <laughs> and in this case, it's the same thing. Whereas if you're an Angels fan, yeah, was Saturday fun? Uh, yeah, it was amazingly fun and, and goofy. Did you uh, wake up on Monday feeling worse than you did on Thursday? Also, yes. <laughs> so that is that is a thing that doesn't matter. Like it, you know. In the same ways that all homers count the same once they, if they clear the fence, it's the same distance. Run differential means nothing if you uh, end up on the losing end in more games than not. My favorite part about Saturday night is that the Rockies got 45,000 people out to the yard. And this is the dynamic we have spoken about on this podcast before. It does not matter who the Rockies put on the field. It does not matter how many games they win. That team draws like crazy because they have a beautiful stadium and it's in a lovely city. 
I imagine there was a nice little attendance bump because of Shohei Otani. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, but 45,000 people purchased a ticket to see the Rockies in their City Connect uniforms lose 25 to 1. But here's the other thing. All right, great. You came out to see Otani. One of the worst games, <laughs> one of the worst offensive games of his career, probably. One for seven, two strikeouts, only one RBI, didn't draw a walk. He was the only Angel starter that didn't have multiple hits or score multiple runs. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I guess David Fletcher only scored one run, but he had four hits. Moniak and Renfro both having five hits, I believe only the sixth time in the last 120 years that multiple players had five hits in one game and for the same team. But also, again, this Otani non-performance was off the heels of another one of my favorite moments of the weekend. The home run he hit off Kyle Freeland on Friday and the Rockies win. Did you see the Kyle Freeland uh, reaction to the pitch both immediately after and after the game? Did you see this? It was something along the lines of how the fuck did he do that, right? Yes. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen this before where literally seconds after contact... It's an inside changeup, and Otani gets his hands to it and, and launches it over the right field fence. And Freeland kind of whips his head around and says, how the fuck did you hit that? And then after the game, because the Rockies won and he could laugh about it more, he was like, yeah, like he's the only person ever who could do that, and I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. Um, so that was basically the idea. But I, I've never seen someone say that that quickly uh, after hitting it, and that was Otani. And then he goes one for seven the next day, and they lose by a million, and then... Or they win by a million still, and then they still manage to squeak it out on Sunday. Go Angels! Woohoo! Angels, yeah. Good stuff. Hey, they're they're not they're still in it. It's fine. It's not like they like they're still a good number of games over five hundred. They're they're a decent team, but weekends like this are are really kind of sum up the Angels experience. Funny story from our friend Tucker Davidson on the Angels, who got the last out of the twenty-five to one game on the mound. He had the ball authenticated, mm. which is incredible. I because I texted him, I was like, "Congrats on the twenty four out, twenty four run save, man." He was like, "Oh no, I got it authenticated. Don't even worry." Yeah, he locked that shit down. He slammed the door. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, let's move on to Yuri Perez, Ooh, yeah. the magician pitcher carving up the major leagues right now for the Miami Marlins. He, by a lot of statistical measures, is having the best start to a career that a pitcher has ever had. And think about what that means, because there have been plenty of pitchers who have shown up, and obviously if you're showing up at a young age, you're probably pretty talented. But this man just turned 20 in April. He will be 20 for the entirety of this season. I'm pretty sure he would still be one of, if not the youngest pitcher in AAA, and one of the youngest pitchers in AA. And he has a 1-3-4 ERA in the big leagues through nine starts. He looks the part. He's throwing harder now than he was when he first came up. He was touching 100 against the Pirates yesterday. And it was just like it, it, the grace and the athleticism with which he moves. I know we were just talking about, about Victor Wembanyama recently. And, you know, he's not that tall, but he's he's 6'8". He's all of 6'8". And the coordination that he has... Not just that leg lift like Victor, but, but all the way through is is uh, honestly jarring to watch. I, I can't really think of any other examples like it. This is from an article written by a friend of the show, Paige Leckie, over at MLB.com. Since his debut on May 12th, Perez has stunned the masses. I agree with that. 
with a 1-3-4 ERA, the lowest ERA through a major leaguer's first nine starts, minimum 40 innings, since Steve Rogers' 1-2-0 ERA in 1973. His one run allowed over his past six games is the fewest runs allowed by any player aged 20 or younger over a six-game span since 1901. No pitcher this young has ever been this good to start a career. Yeah, and I sort of mentioned it a little bit on Friday when we talked about our biggest surprises, but when we projected the Marlins, and holy shit, they're 11 games over 500 at the end of June, it was about the young pitching like Perez, but it was about Lazardo and Garrett, and Garrett has also been, I think, better than I gave him credit for. But like I said, like this has been huge because Edward Cabrera's injured and Sandy has an ERA over five. And to have Perez kind of step in and be better now than even Sandy was when he won the Cy Young last year is kind of nuts. Also, it highlights that the NL Rookie of the Year race is going to be completely nuts. Like, there are so many candidates there. Um, I mean, Corbin Carroll is going to be in the MVP race, so it's going to be hard to deny that. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, I think Perez is going to be in the conversation if Carroll is if the Marlins somehow make the postseason and Perez, I, I don't know. It's going to be really close. He He's going to make it very interesting. Uh, no, he's not. Corbin Carroll is going to run away with it. But I, I would like to ask a question, which is yeah. why do certain pitching debuts grab us in a way and others don't? So like Jose Fernandez comes up and is electric, statistically worse than Yuri Perez but captivates the baseball world to a much greater extent. Similar with a guy like Matt Harvey when he first came up, right? Where it felt like every time he took the mound, like you were watching Matt Harvey. It was must-see TV. Same thing with Jose when he was, you know, a rookie with the Marlins. I have not felt that way with Yuri Perez, that he's not getting the same level of national attention. Why do you think that? Like, I have not sat down and been like, okay, time to watch an entire Yuri Perez start. It's Yuri Day. Well, we should, he should is. be. I mean, I, I don't. I don't really have a great answer. Like he's. It's not like he doesn't have good stuff. It's not like he doesn't look different. Like to me, it's as much about just the nature. Of course, it's it's sort of a Marlins thing, but it's also just the nature of man. How many young players, especially on the offensive side, that we are more likely to want to tune into? I don't know. I don't have. I mean, I guess with Fernandez, who's also, and this is true with some other like. There's an individual off-speed pitch that stands out in some unique way, whereas Yuri is, it's kind of the whole package. It's not like he's known for one pitch, I feel like, and maybe that hurts him. But like I said, he's throwing 100. I don't really know. It's not like the stuff is light. I'm not really sure what else you want to see from him, and I would encourage you to set some time aside for for Yuri Day when it comes, I, I assume, this weekend, maybe Friday or Saturday. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's a fair question, though. I do agree he hasn't necessarily gotten the same level of hype. And I think that's just simply a mistake. I don't, at this point, I don't really, I don't really think that trying to explain it, like we're still early enough in his career that, you know, these things can slip through the cracks, but I just don't think that's going to be the case for much longer. He's been way too dominant and way too good. And the Marlins are also way too relevant. That's the other part that doesn't make any sense. If they were in fourth place and 10 games under 500, if you're not, you know, locked in fine, I get it. You know, the games don't necessarily feel as, as meaningful, but that is just not the case here. Let's stay in the NL East and talk about the New York Metropolitans. Last night, no, yesterday afternoon, the Mets were up 6-3 to in the eighth inning, and they put the jaws of defeat into the life of victory. 
Nailed it. Killed it. They just the disastrous performance from the Mets bullpen as Adam Adovino and David Robertson sat idle in the Citizens Bank Park bullpen. Buck Showalter strolled uh, Jeff Brigham and someone I never heard before whose last name is Walker. What's his name? I believe it's Josh Walker and Grant Hartwig. And it was, I think, the way they said it at the at the very end, um, the Mets broadcast pointed out that all five relievers that came in after Carlos Carrasco were not on the opening day roster. Not great. <laughs> or were not even, yeah, like did not break camp. And so that was Dominic Leone, Grant Hartwig, who was fine. Uh, Josh Walker, who was not fine. <laughs> Jeff Brigham, who was not fine. And then Vinny Natoli after that. And afterwards, it seemed like Adam Adovino and David Robertson were like, yeah, I actually could have pitched. <laughs> and so that obviously doesn't really help things when Buck Walter is trying to explain himself. But what's your read? You have a better sense of Buck and the, the Mets here. So what's your uh, sense here? I generally, when it comes to managers, my take is you're overreacting. They're all mm. the same. If your players are good, it won't matter. And as someone who rooted for the Orioles during the 2010s, I have a certain amount of reverence and frustration for Buck Showalter. I unfortunately believe that the game has now passed him by. That he is not anymore qualified to do this. Because, and here's why, I want to make this argument, okay? What must a good manager do? They must learn from their mistakes. They must adapt when presented with information that proves that their thought process is flawed in some way. In the 2016 wildcard game, Buck left Zach Britton rot in the bullpen and did not bring him in in a tie game. And the Orioles lost in embarrassing fashion because of it. There should be no more thought-changing example, behavior-altering instance than that. Right. From then on, Buck Showalter should bring his closer in in a tie game in the bottom of an inning every time because he ended up with egg on his face in front of the entire baseball world. And he has not learned from that mistake because yesterday after the game, he offered the exact same explanation that he did seven years ago in that wild card game. And I don't like calling for people's heads. I don't saying people like saying people should lose their jobs. The Mets are not bad entirely because of Buck Showalter, but I think it is fair to say he is not pushing this team forward anymore. We have sped run the entire Buck Showalter cycle in two years, and yeah. I am incredibly skeptical that he will be the manager of the Mets this time next season. But to that point, I think everything you said is, is totally fair, so I don't need to really... Add on to that, but I do think it's funny that when you reference speedrunning the Buck Showalter experience, I still think it does also tell us how managing is as fickle as I think we always believed it to be. Because last year, the whole thing was, thank God they have Buck. I mean, Buck has really given them credibility and has stabilized this circus of a franchise and all these things. And so maybe this year says more about the overpowering nature of the Mets. Maybe it says what you are saying, which is the overwhelming power and lack of adjustments 
from a relatively old school manager like Buck. I don't know what it says more about, but I do think it is funny that here we are not even halfway through the season and we are saying all the opposite things that we said about Buck uh, last year because that's how managing works. It is a results-based business ultimately, and they are the ones who are very easy to yell at. Uh, and I think Buck is also maybe near the end of his rope as he's offering quotes before the game yesterday, like uh, from Tim Healy, who tweeted, in response to questions about the Mets Tuesday starter, a dodging Buck Showalter said, quote, what is it with knowing about things before they happen? Do you want to know about when you're going to die? Well, thanks, Buck. It's a good. Appreciate me, it. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going. I don't want to know when I'm going to die. Yeah. But I would like to know who's pitching on Tuesday. Right. It's quite the leap to go from what is it also, what is it about knowing things before they happen? That's kind of the job. I, I would say that's that's the job. That's Tim's job. And all I their would also jobs. argue that's Buck's job. <laughs> I know. There's just a lot of fun. So again, this is quotes like that where I'm just like yeah, Buck is kind of, but but okay. But I guess my question is, you know, we we've see, heard Steve Cohen already say like, no, not going to overreact, blah blah blah. Trust Buck, blah blah blah. Like that wasn't that long ago. You say not next year. I mean, do you think he's going to get through this season? I, I mean, I don't. It's it's one of those things. It's so easy to say, oh, fire the manager. But like, think about like, put yourself in Steve Cohen's shoes and think about like, is it is it worth the trouble? Sometimes, absolutely, it is. We saw that last year with the Phillies for sure, right? The trouble, right? But it's not as simple as press fire manager button team turns around like you then have to pick someone else that you feel really good about that is going to steward the ship back in the right direction and when you're the Mets and you're in as big of a hole as you are like it's not just a matter of getting the right person there's a lot that goes into that decision and so while I think you're probably right about next season I still am kind of skeptical it's going to happen in the middle of this year but I don't know I don't think it will happen in the middle of this year because I think that the Mets will have a new general manager and mm-hmm. I think that general manager will get to pick their manager. Interesting. And so I don't think it makes sense. You could see a situation where Buck does like eight more outrageous things between now and August 3rd. And Cohen's like, this is an embarrassment. You need to go. And they just install someone on an interim basis to finish out the year. But I'm skeptical that will happen. Anything else on the Mets, Jordan? I'd love to move on. Well, we didn't even talk about the fact that they traded Eduardo Escobar to the Angels in the middle of the game, uh, which I thought was an interesting movie. Angels acquiring Escobar and Mike Moustakis over the weekend of all of all people. Um, seemed like a decent... I mean, again, it seemed like a situation where they just didn't want him... Pl- the, Billy Epler did not want Eduardo Escobar playing anymore. Would rather build up some pitching depth in the farm system which they do not have any of, as we just saw this weekend, then keep Escobar around to play over Brett Beatty. Uh, Coleman Crow seems good, but also injured. And uh, Landon Marceau is watching LSU today. So I don't think he has much else. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much else to say about Landon Marceau. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was our first like real major league trade we had this year. So I figured we should probably mention it. Good point. Anything else to talk about? I guess the Yankees, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, so the Yankees, you again, you were around this weekend. You just described it as the least inspiring series win that you've seen in quite some time. We don't have to recap the games necessarily, but the main theme remains, which is that the Yankees offense is 
is atrocious. I mean, it's like you can't even and, – and Donaldson certainly got the brunt of it this weekend for a lot of reasons, but um, we could talk about that. But it's just – every the lineup, it sucks. It's not complicated. At the same time, it's also made me appreciate, I think, more people realize, oh, this pitching is really good. Even with all the injuries that they've had, their pitching staff – and it has been good the whole time pretty much. I mean, I know they've had a couple clunkers here and there, but like that's why they're still a pretty good team. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this. So Aaron Judge has been out since June 3rd when he bashed his toe into the Dodgers stadium fence in a very freak play. And since that day, the Yankees are last in runs scored. They have had the worst offense in baseball by a lot of metrics since that date, right? And so I think it is easy to say, wow, what that's so embarrassing, whatever, Even with a healthy Aaron Judge, this was a flawed offensive group. And when the cornerstone of that group goes down, obviously there's going to be a huge setback. It does highlight how, if you, I've said this before about the Mets, like if you build the ship out of old wood, you can't be shocked if the boats start sinking. Donaldson, LeMahieu, and Stanton have all been horrendous. And that is a huge reason for why this offense has struggled. And so I think that deserves more scorn and criticism than like having Billy McKinney, Willie Calhoun, and Jake Bowers around who are doing better than anybody ever could have imagined or hoped. But okay, so now what happens, right? Judge shows up on Saturday in the locker room and says, it's a torn ligament in my toe. There's no timetable for a return. People are speculating at some point in August, but he would not give a date. Like he, I was there. He was very hesitant to, to do that. Now what? Right. Like you said, the Mets have a borderline elite run prevention group, defense and pitching combined. Even though their starter ERAs don't jump off the page necessarily, the bullpen is shut down and the defense is very, very good. And so this team can compete. Like they can get a wild card spot. But is the can team, they win a world it, wait? Can they win a World Series without Aaron Judge? Absolutely not. If they get any kind of step forward from LeMay, Hugh Donaldson, and Stanton, something that I'm super skeptical about, they can't compete. Like I, I do believe that. Like they are so good on the other side of the ball. But man, they need someone else to step up because right now the offense is Harrison Bader doing cool stuff that sometimes is helpful. And Anthony Rizzo hitting line drives to the right side and Glaber Torres occasionally hitting a home run. Is there, I mean, and I guess when Bader's out there, the defense is pretty good. I, I, I don't know. Would you call it a, I'm not sure I would call it a strength, but maybe it's just because I've seen enough complete like bunglings uh, where those plays get shared more than other teams making errors. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know with, with Bader out there, they're, they should be pretty solid. But I'm not sure I would call it defensive strength at this point. Uh, Trevino is also elite behind the plate, even mm-hmm. though he That's has true. not hit a lick this year after no. being an all-star in 2022. Yeah. I have a weird amount of faith in the Yankees' floor. Other teams would have completely capitulated. I do believe that, right? Yeah. You have a 10-win player who broke a home run record a year ago who you gave, you know— the entire bank account to go out for two months. Like that team is going to suffer. It doesn't matter how good the rest of the roster is. It's going to hurt. At the same time, like 
<laughs> we know the goals of Yankees fans and like they're so far away from being a contender in my opinion. Like I really I really do think that could this team still make the playoffs? Yes. But they're so far behind where I think they would have hoped to be feeling like after they got their ass kicked by Houston last year. And that's why I think people are losing their mind. Now, the good news is that Carlos Rodon is probably going to be back soon. Curious what they do with the rotation. I assume it'll just be Bree. Well, I guess Nestor is also hurt. So I don't know who's going to go down there, but that's that's good. But as we just said, it, it, Carlos can't hit. Maybe he can. Maybe we get Carlos some ABs because otherwise I don't really know what's – what is going to get this offense going? It is not a pretty sight whatsoever. Uh, one more thing before we do thoughts from the yard. Um, just quickly, London series. We said, oh, well, how much can we preview it? We'll see what happens. It was a fairly underwhelming showing. I mean, it was awesome. Like, as always, we love to see baseball in other stadiums, and it seems like the 50,000-plus that were there for both of those games enjoyed the uh, the bouncy house infield um, an outfield that had uh, some some interesting hops, but in general, it was it it was exactly what I expected, which is two very flawed teams trying to get their seasons back on track. And London is a weird place to try and do that. Totally agree. I <laughs> the broadcast calls from British broadcasters hmm. is enough reason to go back there every season. Oh yeah, exquisite. Although I I did I do uh, agree, and I know we've seen some hints from schedule. I think MLB's put this out like they want to go to Paris soon. Like they are going to start expanding away from London. You you also want to go to Paris soon? You were yeah. just there. What do you mean? <laughs> you need to, you you're there more recently than most uh, people in our scenes. Um, but yes, that that is a we are going to expand beyond London. I know that I definitely saw some tweets about how it's like. London is the only city that exists <laughs> to North American sports leagues as far as, uh, you know, expanding their their global reach. But it would be nice to see them in different stadiums. But it was still cool. And I'm happy for the – there is, as we've learned, it is a very real UK baseball fan base, and it is cool for them to have that opportunity. I heard Manfred's looking to put a game in Rostov-on-Don in southern Russia, Jordan. I That seems like maybe not the time to do that. But I support it. Let's get the game – Grow the game, Jake. Grow it. Grow the game. I don't care where. Just keep on growing it. All right. Before we take a break, let's do our quick thoughts from the yard. These are just uh, tales from the yard, whatever we want to say. We were we went to uh, Major League Ballparks in the past week. As you mentioned, you were at Yankees Rangers. I was at uh, Reds Braves on Friday, at least for some of it. I can get to that in a little bit. But why don't you start things you saw around the yard that maybe wouldn't have necessarily made it into a story at foxsports.com or in any sort of official capacity. I've been to five straight Yankees games, Jordan. You can call me freaking, uh, you know, Cal Ripken. You know, I'm like a real beat writer showing up five days a week. Look at me. I deserve a medal. Um, so the Rangers were there. And my editor at Fox was like, hey, can you go write about Corey Seager? And I said, sure. And I did not see Corey Seager for three days. Except I was in, when he was playing baseball. Except for when he was playing baseball. I was in the Rangers clubhouse for the entirety of their availability and I was on the field for almost all of BP and he did not take BP on the field. I did not see him. Like I usually when you're like looking for a superstar, they're evasive, but like you see them. I don't think I saw Corey Seager and I asked the Rangers PR guy for some help and he said he's so media elusive that he hit a walk off at some point and then didn't do the TV interview post game. Like, we're talking that level of not interested in interacting with the media. To which I say, 
you're being paid $325 million for a reason. Like you should have to go in there and smile. I'm not a big, like, you got to talk to the media guy, even his media, like we're annoying, whatever. But if you're being paid $325 million, you should have to like show up for 10 minutes and answer questions after the game. Right. Especially if you have a 1028 OPS and your team is way better than anyone right. could have expected. Like, uh, I'm yeah, not expecting I mean, him to say anything particularly interesting to me, no, but I would like to no. chat with the guy for a second. No, just be like, hey, so you're really good and the team's really good. That's that's more fun than last year, Corey Seager, right? Right. Like, they're, they're, I would have to imagine this. Is, he has to be in. You would think this year, it'd be one thing if like last year, you know, he's balling out and the team is sucks and it's like, all right, whatever. You know, he's like, damn, I'm stuck in this shitty team for the next 10 years, whatever. This year, it's like you'd think good mood, maybe kind of. No, can't find him. So look out for a feature on Corey Seager over at FoxSports.com, <laughs> which I think is actually going to be good, even though I didn't get to talk to him. That's fine. Guy I did get to talk to, Bruce Bochy, oh. for like 25 minutes the other day. And Bruce Bochy is a legend. And I feel bad reducing him to what I'm about to say, but that is a huge noggin, man. It's real. It lives up to it. When you see it, like, it, it's not that it's not big on TV, but it's really big on real life. <laughs> and you saw them earlier this year, right? Oh, yeah. It's a big head, dude. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is one of one of a kind. I, I assume it's at least an eight, maybe eight and a quarter. Eight and a half, I think. Eight and a half. That's I don't really don't even think you can buy those on the, the new era website. <laughs> but I'm sure Bochi has a you know direct <laughs> he has a, he's got the plug for uh for the eight and a half size hats. One last thing that was great. So I'm sure you've seen this before when uh, let me back up. So this is something that happens to us sometimes when a baseball player will reach out to us and say hey, what are my career numbers against this friend of mine? Or can you send me this home run from 2014 that I hit off of this person, right? That happens to us. Yes. So I walk into the Rangers clubhouse yesterday and Mitch Garver is uh, on his iPad and there's like seven Rangers behind him on the couch. And Garver, I think, is on Baseball Savant just pulling up matchups between various guys on the team. And it's amazing because all the other, like, it's clear that he is one of the few people on the roster who knows how to operate Baseball Savant and, like, find these videos. And so all the guys are just gathering around being like, ooh, pull up me against Trout. Ooh, pull up that homer I hit off of Jacob McGraw. Like, it was so funny because Garver's just, like, emceeing this interaction with his iPad because he knows how to use Baseball Savant. That said, I'm pretty sure, I mean, very true, and it would not surprise me if Mitch Garver is the only one that knows how to use Baseball Savant, but those iPads that these teams have, it's like Baseball Savant times a million, and they probably dumb it down and make it way easier <laughs> for players to find stuff that does not involve knowing all the inner intricacies of the stat cast search uh, strategy. But to your point, yes, I, I watched uh, Ozzy Albies and Orlando Arcia do a very similar exercise when I was there on Friday. Um, two quick things from my so I went to the what I know people saying game of the year. I did not stick around for that game because I just didn't, and I had a long drive home, and I didn't feel like <laughs> staying around. Like you think, oh Jordan, you you blew it. That's fine. Honestly, I've gotten way too spoiled because I'm just like, oh, I'll just come see Ellie next week. And that's not that sh I should not take it that uh, uh, for granted, but that's basically how I have thought. I was like, oh, he's probably not going to have a cycle tonight. He'll just do it, you know, next time I'm here. Also, Instead, you are did. wired. You don't yeah. have FOMO, and so what do you care? 
That's true. I'm not, a, although this was about as close to, to FOMO as you're going to get. But anyway, before that game, I, uh, I did, I, so there'll be an, an Acuna feature coming on Fox Sports, uh, coming soon. So you can check that out. But the one, the two things I wanted to share was one, uh, which I already told you about was in the Braves clubhouse, as you know, like it's just MLB networks on, on it's either golf or it's MLB network. Those are the two things that will be on, on the televisions in major league clubhouses. And in this case, it was MLB network and they were having a conversation. Uh, about uh, the shift, of course, shift Bano, how's that impacted? And who do you think of? You think of oh, the big pull hitters. And Mike Petriello, our friend Mike Petriello, is on there with Brian Kenny, and they're having a conversation. And the lower goes, is Matt Olson benefiting from the shift ban? And Matt Olson is just sitting on the couch watching. And it's just so funny because we all tune in down when we network and we say, oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, we're looking at Vlad Jr. Oh, and we're looking at, you know, L.A. De La Cruz and how all these things. But it's just a very funny to think about. You're watching, you if you're a player watching LB Network, what that's actually like. And so I said, hey, Matt Olson, is, so is, is it, benefit, are you benefiting? He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not. And then he <laughs> proceeded to have a huge weekend in which he tied Shohei Otani uh, in home runs, including one to the opposite field, which was like the least Matt Olson home run that I've ever seen. So he's decided, you know what, shift or not, no shift, I'm just going to hit it over the fence. The one other thing I wanted to share, Jake, it was a very, very big moment for me, a moment I've been looking forward to all season in the Reds media dining room. Because before every Reds game, now, of course, the Reds beat is up there. And, you know, C. Trent and Charlie Goldsmith. And I usually sit with them, Mark Sheldon, good people. But also up there is John Sadak, the fantastic Reds broadcaster, who is on an absolute heater right now. Oh, my God. The calls <laughs> from him for Ellie Cycle and Joey Votto's home runs. Amazing. John is the best. But who's John's partner in the booth? It is Barry Larkin. It is Barry Larkin. And Jake, Barry Larkin is obviously a Hall of Famer and one of the best shortstops of all time. But Barry Larkin, more importantly, is in Backyard Baseball 2001. Yeah. And I have wanted for the whole season, I've, I've chatted up with Barry a couple times. He's very nice, very approachable. Always sitting there, John. But I sat down and I said, Barry, I just need to tell you, man, you are an absolute beast in backyard baseball 2001. He's like, yeah, I know I, I was in that game, which it's good to know because some players, like I've told Cliff Floyd the same thing about being in 2003. He didn't even know he was in the game. I was like, they picked you. You were the one Marlin. But I did remember that, especially because remember, there are two Reds because Griffey was traded to the Reds while the game was was in, was uh, was in production. And because of that, they didn't want to bump Barry Larkin from the game. So they just kept two Reds. There's only one player from every other team. And it was funny because I was like, yeah, man, I'd have you and Griffey and McGuire and Sosa and Bonds. And Barry's like, damn, like that's a good lineup. It's like, yeah, that's right. You were you were at the top of it. You were pretty good, man. So I didn't feel like explaining like Mikey Thomas and Angela Del Vecchio to him, but he did appreciate that uh, I, I gave him some love for, for Backyard Baseball 2001. This is what Jake and Jordan do with their access, my <laughs> friends. We are living out your dreams. We are going up to Barry Larkin in the press box dining and thanking him for his service. Yeah. Jordan, let's take a quick break and we will come back ranking all the City Connect uniforms and coming up with some design ideas of our own. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You wanna know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. We don't really care about uniforms. I would say compared to the average baseball prognosticator of our vibe, we care way less. And that is because we like baseball and not the laundry it is played in. However, we do have some preferences, some thoughts, and some takes. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to rank all 20 of the City Connect uniforms that have been released. Yes. And so shouts out to the Pirates for sending me this wonderful brand new City Connect hat. They are the last team to release it this season. They're the last releases this year, which brings us to 20. And we should say full disclosure. Here are the teams who have sent us free stuff, okay? <laughs> I'm wearing an Orioles hat. Jordan is wearing a Pirates hat, and I think the Nats sent us a shirt last year that says, here comes the bloom. Which is and I think that's amazing. It. Yes. I think, yes. Now, again, if other teams want to send us more stuff, by all means, we'll, we will take it. Um, but now our significant others might say, please, Jake and Jordan, please stop getting more free stuff. You don't need it. But that's fine. I say, please send it to it. Better than us buying it which makes even less sense. So sure. <laughs> feel free to send us more stuff. But yes, thank you to the Pirates, Orioles, and Nationals. Um, but yes, we are going to roughly tier these. As I mentioned, 20 of the 30 teams have released a City Connect uniform over the last three seasons. This initiative started in 2021, and this year we got another six or seven. The Pirates, most recently, the last ones. I believe they are debuting them on field tomorrow, um, but this is it. So there's 10 teams, which we'll get to after, that we have not seen City Connect uniforms yet, but we wanted to give our clear rankings, at least joint. We are going to come up with a joint rankings a Barbacast official rankings of the 20 City Connect uniforms as they exist, even though we don't actually care that much. All right, Jake, start us off. You're, Jake's going to guide us, and I will I will offer my opinions as we go. 20 is obvious. Last is a no-doubter. The Los Angeles Dodgers mailed in the assignment. The Dodgers City Connect uniforms are full blue. They say Los Dodgers on the hat and on the jersey. They have actually started wearing the blue tops with white pants. Recently, which is like backtracking on the original look, you know, Jordan, it is nothing against um, the Latin American population in L.A. or the Spanish language at all, neither of whom I have a beef against. It's just that these uniforms are unimaginative and they suck. And (laughs) we have seen Los team name uniforms many times already from many different teams. Totally, totally. And honestly, what I feel like happened here is what is probably currently being debated with regards to any potential Yankee City Connect uniforms, which is that they so desperately do not want to mess with an iconic look that they ended up going so safe and ultimately pointless. Correct. And so I agree. But the main point is, yeah, we've seen Los Blank jerseys many times. I don't know why this is any different and this is a waste. Now, I will say this was one of the first ones that was released. And so I think, as we saw, teams have gotten a little bit more aggressive in recent years for better or for worse. But I agree. I think they have to be 20. 19, the Atlanta Braves, similarly unimaginative. They took a throwback look and they changed the font from A to the A. I understand it's a tribute to Hank Aaron. Cool inspiration there. But they look like Braves uniforms we've seen before. This is the thing. I, I, I think these look sweet, but they're not new. They're not. I didn't look at them and be like, oh, whoa, I've never seen something like that before. It's, it's quite the opposite. So again, when we are grading these, we are ranking them both on how we like them look and how much did you kind of 
actually accomplish something and do something different. And so while I'm sure this does connect with the city because this is a jersey they've seen before, it's just not that exciting. At 18 is the opposite. They went for it. They tried it, but it looks like crap. And that's the San Francisco Giants. I absolutely hate this look. The San Francisco fog with like the mist and the creamsicle orange and the Golden Gate Bridge motif. I just think there were so many other directions they could have gone and doing like a full white uniform too is just too similar of a look. I hate these so much. I don't hate these that much. I agree they're in my bottom seven or eight. The really creamsicle orange is is strange. I think they should have leaned more into the bridge than the fog. Putting the bridge on the on the sleeve is not the move. I would have gone way more in in that direction uh, for San Francisco. So I I, I I've sort of come around on them. I don't like them, but they're definitely they're not at the bottom for me. But that's fine. I'll let you keep doing the rankings. Oh, I should probably say I was sent a free uh, Giants Lamont Wade. Uh, <laughs> San Francisco and it didn't fog work. jersey. <laughs> it didn't work. It made you like it less. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Remember, like, yes, we get free stuff, but we also dunk on it, too. Uh, at 17, the Cubs, Wrigleyville jerseys, they're just just whatever, man. They're- well, again, like, I, and we'll get to some of the other ones where you kind of are referencing a pl- the place in a different way, which I appreciate that. But the rest of it is is nothing. And, rig- like, it's just I, I, I uninspiring. Not exciting. I'm not thrilled to. And also, it's just a lot of letters to jam onto the front of a jersey. I agree. They should have just gone the Ville. The Ville. <laughs> right, yeah. Everyone would have known what that meant. At 16, the Houston Astros. This is maybe too low for some people, but I really hate the font. I know it's supposed to look like NASA, mm-hmm. but everything just feels squished and pulled apart. And like they messed with the aspect ratio on Microsoft Word. It just looks really stretched. I don't like the Navy pants. And they're just not for me. I think Space and they're similar. Cities, they're similar to the Cubs. They're similar to the Cubs ones. That's true. In look and in approach, except Space City is way cooler than Wrigleyville. Yes, I agree. In terms of just kind of diverting from the norm, like people say Wrigley, like Space City was not something that I've ever thought. I, I understand why, but like that's not a term I had necessarily heard before. And so I like that in the creativity. But in terms of how they look, I, I do agree. Not not that not not enough of a diversion. Kind of boring. Then there's like a huge group of teams here, right? Which are, you took the same colors that you always wear and you kind of revised them a little bit. So we're going to put the Pirates at 15, which maybe feels a little bit low. I you could put, put the Red these Sox in here. so many different orders, honestly. Like okay. I, I'm a sucker for the black and yellow. I, a lot of that is because of how much time I spent in Pittsburgh because my fiance went to grad school there. But like also like, it's just, it's, it's hard to screw up. Like that is a color Correct. scheme that just hits so well. And we knew they were going to lean into that. And I think they did. I do like the yellows. I think that some of the motifs are a little too subtle in terms of the, the, the font for the PGH is a reference to um, the font that you'll see for some of the bridges. But also you could have done more bridge motifs. You could have done even more dramatic lettering. You could have had more, something like that that it just doesn't really hit. Also, the PGH is not the most appealing abbreviation for people who aren't used to seeing it all the time. <laughs> but I still like these. I, I would have these towards the top of this group, uh, but I agree it's not the most aggressively creative. So well, let's bump it up a bit. We'll do the Astros at 16. Let's do the Red Sox at 15. Oh, now, in their own category. Our friend June Lee ranked all these at ESPN.com. June is the biggest Boston homer in the fucking world. And so you cannot trust where he put the Red Sox once. He wrote something on this list, Jordan, that was akin to the Red Sox are reimagining what a baseball uniform can be. 
And I cannot disagree more with the thing that June has ever written or said in his life. They are just a baseball uniform that are different colors than the other baseball uniform. Again, I know it's because of the marathon. I know I get it. Frankly, the colors don't look good together. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. to me, it's that simple. It's the biggest diversion from their own colors, which is fine for some cases. And there's some of those that we ended up liking a lot more. We'll get to those at the top of the list. But I agree with you. Like this one, it just doesn't, we just don't like how it looks. And I don't want to harp too much on like there, of course, every team has come up with a more advanced story and mythology behind how they did. And like, that's fine. Like I'm I'm not going to disrespect any of those specific stories, but we are focusing on how they look and, and, and also at least vaguely the, the background of it. And this is just, it's, it just doesn't look good. That's 15. I'm going to put the Royals at 14 because the Royals are basically the Cubs ones, except with a cooler hat where the hat is their full Navy with a baby blue accent the cool thing about the Royals is, right, they have, like, the fountain mm-hmm. motif hat. That I like. That's at 14. Mm-hmm. Respectfully, I'm confused about the Orioles ones because I sneaky like them. I know they were dunked on. I will put them behind the Pirates. That seems a- appropriate. The jersey inside the jersey, the pattern on the inside of the uniform is kind of wonky and weird, and there should be more of it on the outside. I do think that on field, they look pretty good, mm-hmm. if uninteresting. Mm-hmm. And so... I know maybe this is bias having them up at 13, but is that okay, Jordan? Are we comfortable? Yeah, I mean, I know most people, those were the easiest ones to dunk on when they got leaked because they're so basic and so, particularly the font of the Baltimore. But I I think that the the B hat makes up for how silly the Baltimore looks like on the front. I think having the little colored part on the sleeves is, is very cool, although arguably too subtle. But I, I don't think these are that bad. I don't think they're that good. I do think they are still sort of lazy, but I, I think the B is, is pretty sweet. All right, then let's put the Pirates at 12. We'll put the Mariners at 11. The tops, the Mariners' tops are outstanding. Mm-hmm. The black gunpowder pants, I cannot stand them, and I think they ruin the whole look. Do you want? So you would want them to be all that blue that they used? All that blue or go cream pants, go yellow pants, go navy (laughs) pants, go white pants. Like, I don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anything, but I hate that color. So, so yeah, people, but it's just people really hate the black pants. But so black pants are okay if the whole uniform's black. Is that correct? Yeah, I I think so. Unless the Rangers one, which I like. So maybe this is a stupid conversation. (laughs) Okay, I just. And a great reminder that these these are just preferences. I know. That's why why all this is nonsense. It's just easy. People like to have opinions on it. So, I mean, everyone's going to disagree. But now, now we get to, you know, the Reds, who are also one of the more recent ones. I've seen them in person. Um, I think that the C is pretty sweet and very different. And like, I like how kind of aggressive they went in that direction in terms of how different it looks from the original C. The all blacks, you know, it's it's going to get pretty toasty there on some Fridays in July and August, but uh, but the reds are hot, so they might as well be hot while they wear the uniforms too. At number nine, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Serpientes in the desert color. I like how they connected it to where they are. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting. They didn't do city connect. They did Wilderness Connect. Right. It's the opposite. The Desert Connect. I, I agree. I, this might be a little generous, but I, I do like them. Um, they, they, they also feel a little safe, but it, it's nice. It wasn't too much of a diversion. Like It's not a color they're normally wearing, but it does look right. It doesn't look like there was a mistake. It doesn't look like the colors got accidentally inverted the way you see them with Boston. Like it's, it's, it's solid. At number eight, the Milwaukee Brewers. I am a flag nerd. Mm-hmm. I love city flags. 
Jordan, are you familiar with the drama over the Milwaukee city flag? No, tell me more. Please Google old Milwaukee city flag and then Google new Milwaukee city flag. For those of you who don't know about this, the old Milwaukee city flag was ranked one of the ugliest, wonkiest, weirdest, and worst city flags in America. It is like an enormous disjointed mural of Milwaukee this is stuff. This a flag, just man. This copy is crazy. and pasted onto a flag. The residents of the city hated the flag so much that they came up with their own city flag design, grassroots, and over time, it replaced the old one. Jordan, do you have the new one in front of you? I, I believe I do, yeah. I mean, this is, is quite, the, uh, quite the pivot. It is a rising yellow moon or sun over a navy blue body of water with light blue stripes, which is the inspiration for the Brewers City Connect jersey. That I really like. I think it is a really good backstory. I think baby blue always goes hard. I think there are some cartoonish aspects to this to this uniform that don't totally hit. But as a whole, I love the grill baseball uniform. I love the brew crew. The MKE on the hat falls into the PGH. <laughs> looks wonky, but if you're from there, you're for it. So that's Agreed. where I'm at with the Brewers at number eight. Yeah. At and number, anything yeah on I was just going to say, I mean, Baby Blue is generally undefeated, and I love calling them the brew crew. So that's one that like you don't have to be a Milwaukee person to like to see that. Um, so I, I might have these even higher. I like these a lot. Love it. Um, at number seven, the Angels. They did not rethink much, but they crushed it. If you're looking at like how much does this connect to the city and how imaginative you are at low points, how good does it look on the field? Outstanding. These look so good on the field. I am very likely to dunk on the Angels any chance I get, as I have been criticized for on the internet. However, these hit so hard. I agree. These are great. My only beef with these is all the pictures with Mike Trout standing with a surfboard are the least believable things I've ever seen. This man, I mean, tell me I'm wrong, but I do not sense that surfing is uh, a part of the Orange County lifestyle that Mike Trout has picked up during his time in Anaheim. How many times has Mike Trout surfed since joining the Angels is a great question that I will get to the bottom of. At number six, I have the Texas Rangers. I love this look. I love the black pants. I love the cream tops. I like how they connected it to the history of baseball in the city. Maybe a little bit high for you, but I'm all in on the Rangers one. I do like them. They are like the the TX is about as aggressive as it gets in terms of keeping the abbreviation while also changing it up. The whole Peagle thing where they invented a mythical character and put on their sleeves is so hilarious and weird that like you got to give them bonus points for that. As <laughs> yeah, as for how the whole thing looks, I'm it's more middle of the pack for me, but I do like them. I adore the number font on the back. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it for me. At number five, I will put the Rockies. I think my biggest issue with the Rockies ones is that they look too much like stadium seats. That shade of green looks like an outfield fence to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean, these are great. This is the one that June had at number one. I don't know if I would have the number one, but I, I think these are sweet. Like, I think even though they just lost 25 to one in them, I do agree. And the color is a little odd, but the hat is so great. And it's 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 so inventive. And it's the best use of, you know, this actual scenery of the city, I feel like, as, as far as design. So I, I love these. These are easily top three or four for me. And it's a nod, I believe, to the 
all-star game uniforms that they had when they hosted at Coors Field back in the day. Mm-hmm. I think they they had this this shade in there. Yeah, these are great. Like I have them at number five, no shade to them. At number four, the San Diego Padres and their multicolored mint, pink, and yellow uniforms. I love these. They're certainly the loudest. I love that the pink, it's just so in your face and it's great. And like, this is the kind of jersey that would have been hard to fathom a major league baseball team wearing even 10 years ago. And so that's a win. I will say that it it screams a little bit more Florida than California. Like it's, it, I, I to me, it gives me more South Beach than it does San Diego. Um, but they're still sweet and I love them. And seeing, you know, Juan Soto wear pink is awesome. My favorite part about these is how they kept the fryer patch on the <laughs> sleeve. And so the fryer in pink and green and just looks super weird. Yeah. At number three, I'm going to go with the White Sox. Southside. I mean, this one's not that particularly complicated, right? Full black pinstripe Southside, gothic lettering, looks like a White Sox jersey, but is outside the scope of what they've already had. I agree. I wouldn't have these this high. They're certainly in my top 10. Tony La Russa kind of ruined these from the jump. <laughs> and so these are ones that just, you really got to, yeah, certain players look amazing in them and certain players, <laughs> certain old, uh, terrible managers do not. But I, I'm with you. I think they're still pretty strong. They're different enough. And, you know, it is nice to, to kind of change the, the name on the front. You're correct. They are reminiscent of jammies after all the time Tony La Russa has spent napping in them. So number one, Jordan... Let's talk this out. Nats or Marlins at one. I think I'm going to put the Nats at one and the Marlins at two. This is, yeah, I think this is where I landed also. The Marlins ones, uh, the, the tribute to the, to the Sugar Kings, um, who were a, a Cuban AAA affiliate many, many years ago, is amazing. And like the color is so different, but also it doesn't look wrong the way that some of the other uh, jerseys do. Okay, we keep mentioning the Red Sox, but there's other ones like that where it's just like, what is this? It fits... The play, the players look freaking awesome. And the fact that they had Jazz to show these off is perfect. And they're sweet. Like, they're very different. I think they're awesome. Like, we've been kind of a sucker for some of the Marlins stuff, even as it has gotten goofy over the years. I love what it's a tribute to. And uh, I just think it's really cool. So, I, I, man, I think they might be number one for me, but it's, it's really close. These are also my two top two. So, what about the Nationals? The Nationals won. Maybe we're biased because we grew up there. But... The cherry blossoms are such a thing when you're there, when you live there. Oh, it's cherry blossom weekend. Everyone goes downtown. And that the 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 Nats kind of tipped their cap to this in not a gosh cartoonish way, right? They went with the very, you know, biologically correct uh, cherry blossom under the WSH. The touch of the pink, not overwhelming you with the pink. Mm-hmm. The gray tops look totally like a baseball uniform, but they look like a good baseball uniform. To me, it is really sophisticated and cultured and unique. And I really, really love them. Totally. It is a, it is a great balance of still looking like a good uniform and trying something very different. Uh, and that is that is, I think, why we love them and why... Well, yeah, because again, they don't look, they're definitely a different color than the Nationals jerseys, but they are, they are great. And I know that people, people love them. People love them in DC and I think people love them, love them elsewhere. And I think what made them better is the Wizards tried to do a hat tip 
to the cherry blossoms and they looked terrible. Oh, I don't know. They even, went like yeah. full pl- pink. They called it the Bloom City edition. Oh, and they yeah, just Yeah, yeah. I They looked like a gender reveal. They did not hit. And so to me that made what the Nationals did even more impressive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, the, no one will ever. The Wizards will never top the the gold unis that they were rocking uh, in the Damn Gilbert straight. era. But, um, but no, I agree. This is this is a you know the Nationals haven't had too many wins in the last few seasons, but um, this was unquestionably one of them. So that means there are ten teams left who didn't who have yet to receive a City Connect uniform. They will be coming at some point in the future. We believe some are already on the docket for next year. Oh really? Do we know? Um, I think which the ones Cardinals. The Cardinals are the one that I think they're like in for next year. That's happening. Okay. Jake and Jordan are not designers. We have no style. But what we're going to do now is we're going to design the uniforms for the ten other teams. Let's take turns. I'll go first. The Phillies. Jordan, this is a no-brainer. Full fanatic. You go. Ooh. Bryce Harper has added green as a color to the Phillies palette with his green cleats and accessories. They need to go full, like bright in your face green. Give me fur. Give me some fanatic <laughs> fur somewhere on the uniforms. Lean all the way in on the fanatic. I love that. Um, so for Tampa Bay, that's another team that, that doesn't have them. Couple options. I think the the two options would be either to lean into the, you know, Miami was going more, whatever, South Beach, Cuba, whatever. I think you could lean more into the Florida wildlife element, not just the rays, but you could just have more involving just whether it's <laughs> certainly rays, but gators and just like all kinds of just weird Florida stuff, like certain kinds of birds that you would have, like something just looks like essentially like the Tampa Zoo would be an option. The other option would be to lean into the trop in particular and either have some sort of motif of the catwalks or the roof. That is so uh, um, iconic in the worst possible way of what Tampa looks like. So Tampa's it, it's tough. I think I think leaning into the trot might be great, even though it might not be there for that much longer. So just going off your first idea, Jordan, uh, Google Maps is telling me it is a thirty-minute drive from Tropicana Field to Big Cat Rescue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's that's <laughs> yikes, but <laughs> that's nice, nice, good, good. And so I just think you go full Tiger King. Right. Sorry, Detroit. <laughs> well, I was going to say we'll get to we'll get to the Tigers here in a second. Um, but who do, who do you got next? The Toronto Blue Jays. You have to go full Canada because yes, these are City Connect uniforms, but they have the opportunity to go Country Connect. I know they already have the red jerseys they wear on Canada Day, and I know that the Canadian national team already has like Maple Leaf stuff. I think Toronto has to find a way to be like we are Canada's team. And here is a uniform that all Canadians can wear that doesn't just say Toronto across it. Something I agree. that people in Van- people from Vancouver to Newfoundland <laughs> can be proud of. I agree, but like like you said, they have Canada jerseys, so I don't know if they want to do a more Toronto specific, some CN Tower imagery. Like, there's a version where they could do that, but I don't know. People would definitely buy a jersey that said the six. That's why I thought about that too. I thought about that too. The, the Raptors have ones that say the North, which is pretty good, but you could get weirder than that. All right. Uh, Guardians, Cleveland Guardians. 
obviously the easiest thing would be uh, something with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Something with like the a guitar across with the lettering would be great as well. But like Cleveland has a lot of, you know, self-deprecating stuff as well. I know the Guardians was a, a lot shift towards like city pride. But like something with like the Cuyahoga River being on fire, I think would have been great mm. if you really want to lean in to some some city history would be nice. I don't know what the color would be here, but there is some possibilities like Cleveland people love Cleveland. So I'm sure they would get creative with this. I love I would love one that just w- a way to convey the Cleveland <laughs> yeah. video. Fun times in Cleveland today. If we can get that that text across the top, that'd be good. Bring back the Chief Wahoo hat, Jordan. Who says oh, yeah, no? yeah. Everyone would love to uh, see that. All of us. Yeah. All of us say no, especially on this uh, pod. The Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Jordan, speaking of city flags, could you Google the St. Louis city flag, please? The St. Louis city flag is a perfect place to start. The Cardinals do not have a red top, which feels particularly bizarre. They do wear that in spring training. But their owner has been on record at FanFest saying, we don't have a red top. Expect this to be a red top. I don't think they're going to go full red, but something with the St. Louis city flag where the top is red and like the piping is like the white and blue, uh, like the river motif that they have on the flag, I think would be really good. River motif is good. I will say on first glance, this flag is a little too Confederate for my for my liking. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> just It's like if I look at it quickly, I'm like, whoa, what, what, what's that? Uh, but at the same time, I... I'm not going to tell you you're wrong about something St. Louis related because that's where you're going to school. So I do agree it's cool. I mean, this you're also just bringing up, you mentioned Milwaukee, like city flags are just not a thing that I think people are super familiar with. So which both op- represents a great opportunity in the case that the flags are cool and also maybe uh, the opposite of that. Uh, Detroit, t- anything else on St. Louis? Yeah, city flags go hard, everyone. Just no, I, I agree. I, I think we it. should know more of them. I just It's just not as... Part of our common knowledge. So Detroit, there's really three directions you could go, right? You could go full tiger print the way that you described it. Now, that would be more like name connect flag. And that could be hilarious and funny. Although the, the risk there is you're, you're, you're probably going to end up looking like a minor league theme night jersey is, is probably what ends up happening there. So then you can either lean into, you know, Ford cars, have something with the Ford, like, I mean, baseball players love Ford F-150s. Like, I'm sure if you had some sort of, you know, truck-related uh, imagery, I think they would love that. Or you just lean into Motown, and it says Motown, and you have stuff like that. Like, I think that would be cool, too. In, in terms of, you know, the going the, the Space City, Southside route, Wrigleyville, whatever, I think you could come up with some cool Motown stuff. Oh, like that would be great. Like a 60s, 70s Motown field. Yeah. Or maybe you have a car on the sleeve, something like that. Like Detroit has a lot they could go with. Yeah. Uh, The Mets. Hmm. Here's what I think they're going to do. I think they're going to do like a Queens is the most diverse place in the world look. Like patchwork quilt or like a melting pot thing. You know, I think that's the direction they'll go with a bunch of different colors from a bunch of different places. And I think they'll actually do a good job with it. I think they should go full big apple. Give me a red top with a green hat. Make it about the apple. I like that. I like that. That's cool. Cause yeah, that, that is like a, a very familiar look in, in that sense. So I, I like that idea. Yeah. I think that's solid. Uh, we'll do the Yankees last. I think yeah. that's okay. Um, two more. I have are Minnesota and Oakland. Minnesota is, I mean, so first of all, I I feel like they're paused because they just did actual new uniforms. So they're going to have to come up with something else that looks especially different. 
which I, I kind of trust them to be able to do. But I'm sure with Twin Cities, there's a lot you could do with. Or you just go full Prince, right? You pull out the purple and you just go all the leaning all the way in, you know, to a city icon there. I think that would be cool too. I don't know how much that, like, again, they already have, you know, the purple with the Vikings, but I feel like there could be some opportunities there with the twins that would be pretty freaking sweet. What do you, uh, I have two more for you, I believe, or did you? No, just the Yankees. Oh, just the Yankees. Oh, okay. So Oakland. So this is tough, right? Because what city are we connecting to, Jake? <laughs> and so <laughs> you could be as disrespectful as like the easy, the obvious thing is you just roll out whatever old A's jerseys you want to do if they're doing this in Vegas or if they're doing this in Oakland. So um, here was uh, an idea from my fiance that is disrespectful and also hilarious and funny. The A's elephant at a Cirque du Soleil show. How about that? That's where we're really kind of combining the two. We're making sure we are representing both cities. But that's the problem is I I don't – presumably you have to be leaning into Vegas. If we're talking about this as Vegas, you're connecting with them for the first time, right? And so how do you lean into that to the – the you know, you you don't want to just lean in and do slot machines and roulette tables and whatever. Like, I guess you could do that, but that feels so on on the nose – it just seems weird. So I don't know. This I is a tough one. The text across the chest should say, whomever pays us. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, or let's just says like, we got a better deal is, uh, is what this was. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a tough assignment there. I'll also like, I have to imagine like the Yankees, this will probably be one of the last ones we see. The Yankees. Do they ever do this? I don't think they will. I think right? they will take pride in never doing this. Because this is the other thing. Who is the team that has the least amount of reason to want need to sell more jerseys? It's the Yankees. It doesn't matter. People are going to buy <laughs> They don't need to come up with some wacky shit for people to buy the way that they do in some of these other markets. Because they're the Yankees. People are going to buy stuff anyway. But... You know, maybe if it gets so like if they miss the postseason or if they're just like moving backwards, no, maybe they see wrong. it as like we know. No, wrong. Shut up. It has nothing to do with the performance on the field. The Yankee logo, no matter where you go in the world, it's everywhere. They are dominate they, or they are dominant in that way. That will never change no matter how many games they win on the field. That's a totally disconnected. Yeah. Here's my thought for a Yankee City Connect. What if you made the whole uniform out of pinstripes, Jordan? I, I'm what okay. What is how does that look different? Okay, it's all the color of the pin, it's all navy, full navy. Oh, okay, no numbers, <laughs> no, no numbers is good. No numbers is leaning into kind of what we're looking to do as the Yankees. No numbers, no Yankees across the chest, nothing on the hat, full navy, the whole thing. We are the pinstripes. Wow. I mean, that's true, but again, they're not pinstripes if they're all pinstripes, right? No, but they are because they're all pinstripes. Here's here's what I wish if they had any amount of like, like would be to do something with the Highlanders. Like that would be pretty sweet. If they could somehow find a way to bring back some Highland, it's never going to happen. You're right. Like, oh, this is a pointless conversation. But like, that is the one thing. They were the Highlanders. That was the team they were first. And that could maybe be cool. If you could find here's, those OG, which already looked a lot idea. like it. Here's another idea. Well, full white uniforms. And depending on how many years you've been on the Yankees, you get one pinstripe. So you make it like, you know, college football helmets or whatever with the stupid 
But like, okay, here. So like, I want here, you, you're sending me, I'm going to put a link in the chat. So like this, the 1903 New York Highlanders had an NY that I've never seen before. And like, that's what I'm looking for. We got to go all the way back to the beginning. If you think, think Hal good. Steinbrenner and Randy <laughs> Levine give a flying fuck about the 1903 New York Highlanders, of course, you I'm need just, to pull your head out of your ass. I know they don't. I'm trying because I know they're never going to do this. I'm just trying to come up with anything that they would remotely even try to connect to. Of course, they're not going to do it. I, this is, I know they don't care. I know they're going to be act like they're above this the whole time. They should just wear I Heart NY t-shirts with baseball. Oh, pants. now we're talking. Yes. Just lean. Just be like, you are the touristy. That is what you get for being the global brand that you are. You also have to live it in reverse and be what all the tourists are wearing in Times Square. That is the correct answer. I love that we have solved it. All right. Those are our City Connect rankings. Do you agree? Do you disagree? No chance you agree. Uh, but you can email us, baseballbarbacast at gmail.com and let us know how wrong we are. And guess what? You're probably right. I don't, I just, if I did these rankings in two weeks, I'd probably have a different order because that is how little I am convicted on them. <laughs> but thank you to the Pirates and Orioles and Nationals for sending us stuff. Other teams, if you want to send us stuff too, we'll reconsider your ranking very seriously because that matters so very much. Uh, but we'll probably continue to focus more on the baseball than the jerseys that they're wearing as we move forward <laughs> with this podcast. Uh, Jake Mintz, there is one final thing I wanted to mention before we get out of here, and it is something that I tweeted about on Friday, and that is relating to our good friend, Kendall Gilmet. Uh, Kendall is someone that we, is, as far as people who helped us at the very, 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 very beginning of this entire barbecue enterprise, this original podcast, the original uh, Sets with his family barbecast, the original website that we had, of course, on WordPress. Uh, none of those things would have been possible without the help of our friend Kendall Gilmet. And Kendall uh, and his family have been dealing for the last several years, since the very beginning of 2020, been dealing with the serious effects of long COVID, particularly with uh, his his lovely wife, Molly, and his, his two fantastic children who we met back in 2015. Holy shit, that was so long ago. Um, but I tweeted out a link to the GoFundMe because there's, you know, obviously over the past few years, most of us have been lucky enough to move on with our lives in a very normal way. That is not the case for everybody. And there are families who have been severely impacted by long COVID and the degrees to which it has impacted and changed Kendall's life and Molly's life is heartbreaking and Kendall's someone we care about a lot. And so we wanted to direct our, our platform towards supporting their family in a very difficult time uh, to the degree to which we can. So I will post the link again. Um, on Twitter today and you guys can go show them some love and give them some support because they could definitely do it. So Kendall, thank you. We love you. And, uh, we're wishing you the best, man. So just wanted to mention that. Um, and I think that is all for this episode of baseball barbecast. Uh, thank you, Jake Mintz for joining me as always. We'll be back on Wednesday. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing and, uh, the, the show rolls on the show rolls on Jake Mintz and, uh, Reds Orioles, baby Reds Orioles series of the year. We will talk about that on Wednesday. Serious XM Podcasts.